uh, every week another great guest uh this week we have the one and only the maestro arguably probably the if you did any googling uh one of the greatest bartenders cocktail masters mixologist weapon in the alcohol game that understands all things about most things uh bar alcohol experience cocktail the rest of it also i did some research in uh came up with the world's most expensive ever cocktail for 5,500 pounds, which sounds unbelievably insane, so I'd like to discuss with him. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the one and only, the maestro, Salvatore Calabresi. How are you, my Hi. friend? How are you? We're, we're virtual, we're global, and that's one of, I guess, the, the many joys of, um, of lockdown, of wherever you are in the world, is they're getting used to Zoom being the new boardroom. <laughs> yes. Uh, first of all, happy Thanksgiving for every American over there. So enjoy yep. the nice turkey. <laughs> I think there'll be uh, plenty of turkeys been going down. That's that's for sure. So you are in uh, England right now. You are in in, in London, London. Yes, I am yep. in London. That's where. My so how went? If you're on a bus in the middle of nowhere and someone said, "Hey, what's your name?" You're like, "Hi." I'm Salvatore. And they're like, what do you do? How do you answer? Well, I say I am a bartender, you know. <laughs> uh, somebody, somebody who knows how to make people happy. You know, in mm. the bar world, that's what it's all about. It's not just how you know how to make a great drink, which is important, but it's also about hospitality. It's about caring. It's about service. It's about making someone who feels lonely uh, no lonely no longer, you know, able to give the shoulder to anyone who comes to your house. Because after all, my, my bar is the home of many people. And mm. uh, that's what makes this job very interesting and very special. Because on the end of the day, it's not just about, uh, hey, have this drink. You know, it's like now, you know, I'm drinking a Negroni. Cheers, everyone. Salute. Cheers. But uh, it's about how you give that Negroni, how you give that drink, how you make that person feel human, special. Mm. That's what I love about this job. I mean, I've been in this industry now for 54 years. I started at the age of 11 when I, in 1966, and I still love it. And I still love to go behind the bar. I still love to interact with my guests. And I still love, it doesn't matter who they are. I mean, I've been blessed that I served anyone that you could possibly imagine. I met some of the most iconic people in the world, like, you know, some of the president of the United States, several president of the United States, uh, royalty. At one time, I used to be known, I had to be, uh, to be called the royal bartender. I served everyone in the royal family. Um, and uh, rich and famous, you know, from Robert De Niro, Stevie Wonder, you name it, everyone has been into my home. And that's what, but above all, it's not about celebrity, it's about the normal people, it's about anyone who walks into, you, into your place, it's um, why should they come to your place? And it's not just mm. about the drink, it's what you can give to them. Well, and that's what I love, because every day is different. When you go mm. to the bar, you never know what's going to happen. You never know who's going to walk through that door. You never know the interaction of people. Here we are, me and you talking. You know, you are the other side of the world, and you want to know about this side of the world, you know, and you want mm. to know uh, where you should go, you know, what you should do tonight. So bartender very much uh, uh, kind of a... Uh, always say to all my guys, you know, whatever geographically it is about London, I want you to know everything about London. So when people just like a great concierge, when people come to you and they chat to you, I want you to have knowledge of your city. I want you to give um, the best restaurant that you think it could be for them, the best show. Uh, what happened in London? You know, why they come into London? You know, and the regular, or the regular person who comes maybe once a day, once a week, or once a month, so who comes for a specific drink to recognize what he wants. It's it's a beautiful, special, special job, really is. Mm. 
Pretty, a lot to unpack there, but I think the two bits that stuck out is, you know, your home is the home of many. You know, you are the conduit for all of these other experiences that other people have. You, your, your place that is a big part of your life is actually potentially a big part of a lot of others. So you've got yeah. a one-to-many sort of experience type scenario. And then the, the other bit was, you know, it's very clear that the customer experience is almost the – the cocktail is almost the byproduct or the afterthought after the customer experience and that potential escapism of many and that that shoulder to talk to or, or whatever that may be. It's, it's I've never really thought of it like that, which is, and you've always looked at the world of hospitality in this way around your home being the home of others and like these kind these, these feel like many sort of mantras. How did these sort of build in, in your head from 54 years ago? Well, definitely. I mean, you know, one of the things I fell in love with 54 years ago, you know, I was 11 years old boy who it was not unusual down to the Amalfi Coast, you know, uh, on those days to have a child to help out. And my dad to find my very first job in this hotel bar, uh, hotel bar, you know, Hotel Regina in Maiori on the Amalfi Coast, uh, where I used to get up at seven or six o'clock in the morning. And my very first duty by seven o'clock, I used to carve a sliced bread for over 100 people for breakfast. And every slice had to be perfect, the same. So there where I learned how to be precise. But then the things that I liked the most, it was to go down to this small, charming little bar where I used to switch on the coffee machine. And there was this iconic, my first mentor, really, Signor Raffaello, this a bartender who could charm the socks off of any woman that used to go into the bar. And definitely I wanted to be him. He could speak several languages, he traveled the world, and uh, and uh, it was missed hospitality. He taught me what means how to care, how to make mm. somebody to hear what they want to hear, you know. And that's uh, where the, the art of psychology is coming into the bar. You know, I always say my bar is uh, one of the greatest theatre that you can encounter. When you walk into my bar, my bar is my show, just like your show. Mm. You know, I open the curtain and people come to my bar and they where I host and I give them the welcome. I sit in them down. I feel, you know, it's almost like you break your mind reader what that person wants, right? And what that person needs. And almost so, you know, maybe I've been doing this for so long that I almost can tell what somebody wants to drink. That's funny as well. But I think what makes it very special is the fact that you can make the dream come reality for somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been responsible for many weddings, right? And also for a few divorces, to be honest with you. But one story maybe I'd like to tell you is about... Uh, uh, a few years back, I used to have a customer who used to come very regular. Uh, his name was called Mr. Smith. It couldn't be more British than British. He was in his early 40s, and, but he was very, very shy. And he used to sit at the bar and he used to have his martini. And, uh, you know, and uh, you could tell he used to like see beautiful lady walking around, but he did not know how to interact with them. So one day, while he was sitting at the bar, there was two women sit at the bar. So I didn't do no more that to move the conversation from these two ladies to him. One of the reasons is you know when somebody can click. There was a, a, one of the ladies was very bubbly, full of energy. She was a banker. And she, you know, she had the life, right? So I thought, man, positive, negative, sometime to get a bit of spark, can join them, them together. So I made this introduction and I made sure that throughout the evening, they really start to chat with each other. Eventually they start to go out together. Eventually he came to me and he said, Salvatore, you know, I really am in love with, with her and I'd like to propose. What shall I do? I said, what do you mean what you should do? You know, so I said, I tell you what, just bring me the ring and I'll arrange everything, okay? So that's what he did. He brought me the drink. So I had a corner in my bar called the cubic corner, but tucked away. 
So the evening came that they both walk into the bar. It was the proposal, you know, the night of the proposal. I made sure that our cubic corner was full of flowers, right? And how she walked into the area, the corner, she said, oh my God, you done this for me. So he looked at me and I said, yes, he did. He was very fussy, what kind of flower he should, you know, he want. So by the end of the evening, I said, oh, I got something. And I brought the ring. So he proposed and she said, yes, fantastic. They got married. I created a special cocktail for their wedding, which was fantastic. Then she fell pregnant. Uh, that was fantastic, right? And but it's a boy called Salvatore. Was it a boy called Salvatore? Listen to this story. The day that she was in labor, on the way to the hospital, they had to stop to my bar to have a glass of champagne with me to celebrate the pre-birth, to say thank you. All right. I never serve a bloody glass of champagne as quick and as fast as I did that day because I said, listen, I could do many things, but birth, I can't do. So <laughs> off they went. And today, their son comes to my bar, the new generation. He always says to me, my dad says, whenever I want to, whenever I'm looking for a good woman, I should come to you and ask. You see, you create longevity about the job. I mean, it's a great, great thing, you know. So arguably, not only are you the maestro, potentially you may be the world's greatest wingman. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't charge. <laughs> yeah, don't charge. Unless you, unless you order the, uh, the 5,500 uh, euro. Well, so just qu let's jump on that one. Explain well, to me that... <laughs> Sorry? Explain Sorry. to me the $5,500 uh, well, world's most expensive cocktail. Or oh, 10000 Yes, almost $10,000. If you try and, you know. Um, well, you've got to understand one thing. that I am also a, a writer. I write, I have written 14 books, uh, which some of them are bestsellers. Actually, my very first cocktail book sold a million, over a million copies. And my home bartender's guide book, uh, which is you can find everywhere, it is by far one of the most, well, the best-selling cocktail book in the world. All right. So this it gives you a good guideline of how to make a great drinks as well. But one thing I am, I'm also reputed to be one of the world-leading experts on vintage cognac. I have written a book which is called Cognac: A Liquid History which is in the British Library. I don't know if you can see it. And uh, always been fascinated with uh, liquid history. What can you do with the, with the history? You can see it, you can feel it, you can touch it. But one thing for sure you can't do is tasting it. So in mm. the 80, when I had a small little charming bar called the Duke's Bar, I come up with this concept. I, I couldn't work with quantity, I wanted to create the quality. So I came up with this concept to give to few people in the world the experience to drink cognac as far back as the Napoleonic era, right? And obviously with an idea, it became to be uh, an obsession. And with an obsession, I've become to be learning more and more and more and more about uh, these incredible historical spirits. And today I have by far one of the funniest collection of of vintage cognac that there is in the world and also of spirits. My collection is over 3,000 bottles and it goes as far Jeez. back as 1760, all right? So you can imagine, you know, to give the opportunity to few people in the world to drink in something when Thomas mm. Jefferson was just president of the United States or George Washington was just president of the United States, all right? or the, mm -hmm. the, the American Constitution, the, the, the French Revolution. So what I did, I thought, I sell this history. But one thing I would love to do, I asked the Guinness Book of Record if I could make the world all this cocktail. Actually, above me, you can't see it. 
this. Can you see it? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 I got it. That's the, you know, the um, uh, Guinness the World Record for the world, the most expensive cocktail. Oh, lost them for a second. Hopefully, we'll click back in and be able to jump into the mix. Jeez. So essentially, he's got cognac from 1776. Insane. <laughs> he's got 3,000 bottles of whiskeys and spirits and all sorts. And arguably one of the world's largest collections of liquid history of all time. Something interesting about that, just going, just jumping on that for a second around the, the time stamping um, moments in time, a 19, a 1945 with world war two, 1911 with world war one, these key moments of his, history, the fact that he's literally got physically the liquid, the product, the timestamp, the whatever, the same way I, I'm sure if you know, they'd look at cars and they, they think about it. That's, insanely interesting to see i'll just and back in action no worries mate i was just uh, no no i i was i was counting along what i was just saying is the um really interesting that a timestamp of a moment is a product which you can relate to so viscerally of the time like i know so you know i I collect whiskeys and you know love 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 the whiskey game a little bit and you know, I, for a, a present for myself, I bought a, a 1985 thirty-year-old Glendronach, which is my birth year. Um, and I, you know, and I, and I got a ninety-four and a few other you know bits and pieces. Nowhere near three thousand, but you know, I'm 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 stacking not too bad for for whiskeys in New Zealand. But what was really special to me is that the only time I will drink that on that the the 1985 is only on extremely extremely special big monumentous days you know and i've only i've only drunk out of that maybe three times in the last three or four, three or four years um Just you know make sure that you close it properly yeah yes uh, <laughs> yeah definitely I mean, you coming back to what i was saying the idea was what can you do with it with history. history you can see it you can touch it you can feel it you can read it but one thing you can't do is tasting it and that's mm. where my unique idea came from, to give the few, to opportunity to few people in the world to drink in something when, as I say, George Washington was around, Napoleon was around, any historical moment. And obviously, coming back to the Guinness Book of Record for the most expensive cocktail in the world, my, my idea wasn't to make the most expensive cocktail in the world, but it was to make the world's oldest cocktail. But the Guinness Book of Record doesn't recognize old. So therefore, mm. I had to make the most expensive cocktails. But I still want to make the world's oldest cocktails. So what I did, I put 750 years of history in one drink. By Jeez. Using, by using Kumol from 1770, a liqueur from 1770, a cognac from 1788, which you think about a year before the French Revolution or the American Constitution, where maybe George Washington was contemplated to become to be the very first president in the United States. All right. Uh, Captain Cook was discovered Australia. Now you come from New Zealand, yep. your New next door neighbor. And um, then uh, a Curacao from 1860, which was the beginning of the very first civil war in America. And Lincoln was trying to change the world of the idea between how to leave everybody together, how should we leave everyone under the same roof. And, uh, and then an Angostura bitter from 1900. So what I did, I put all these four elements together and create this very unique cocktail that I know somebody could make the most expensive cocktail again and maybe breaking my record but definitely one thing they cannot do is making the world oldest cocktail, at least mm. in my lifetime. So I, I get it. So it's interesting, you know, if you look at, um, you're almost giving lessons of history through the lessons of liquor, <laughs> through, well, through liquor, right? Why not? Everything is an art. You know, being a, 
you're drinking your whiskey that is 35 years old and you enjoy it. And every time you go and drink it, please don't think about you drinking just a whiskey. Think about mm. the craft, the craft of the master distiller who created that creation for you to enjoy it. But then another thing you should understand is 35 years old, right? So somebody must have care for that specific cask for 35 years. And some of the spirits that I sell, right, they're 100 years old. You know, they're 50 years old in the cask. They're 300 years old. You see, spirit is all as old as long as it will stay in the cask. Once you bottle, you bottle it, the spirits, it doesn't age no longer. The glass is the canvas. That's why you are able to drink a 35 years old whiskey. And every time you're going to taste it, it will taste the same to you. Although it could change, all right, with time. But you won't be able to do that, do, to do that with wine. I mean, I served uh, this idea to many, many people around the world. Some great iconic people. I mean, I'm going to tell you a few stories that makes you laugh. I mean, uh, in the 80s, I had a couple of guests at the bar, and I thought they were bit, I don't know, I wouldn't say scruffy, because they, on those days, I used to request in my very small bar, always jacket and tie and shirt. There was a dress code in those days. And I had these two gentlemen at the bar, and um, one was having a, a dry martini, because I became to be very famous uh, I have the reputation to make the best martin, dry martini cocktail in the world. So whenever you want to come to my bar, at the Donovan Bar, a Brown's Hotel, you definitely could taste the best martini cocktail in the world, which I would say is super dry and super cold. And I had this person, one of them was drinking dry martini and the other one was drinking a beer. And before I knew and recognized, somebody told me, so do you know who they are, these people at the bar? I said, no, I don't really. And said, so, well, one is Mick Jagger and the other one is Ronnie Wood. Oh, okay, fine. Boom. Um, then uh, I start to bring some very old bottle of cognac at the table. Before I knew who they were, I started to bring some very old bottle of cognac at the table. And there was one in specific, a bottle of 1805, which was very crusty and, dull and dusty and dirty, you know. And Mick Jagger at the time said, what is that? And I said, well, this is a bottle of an 1805, a cognac. Think about what happened at the time. Thomas, well, George, um, uh, George uh, Wharton, uh, Nelson was uh, the Battle of Trafalgar. Nelson, uh, you know, the, uh, was killed at that time, you know. Uh, Napoleon was declared himself as king of Italy at that time, you know. But as soon as I said Nelson, I said, oh, can we have it? Can we try? So I thought to myself, does he know how much it's going to cost? I give him a tip in a way when he touched the bottle. I said, by the way, just to touch the bottle is going to cost you £10. At the time, I used to sell those shots at £500, quite cheap. But I'm talking about 1984, 85 in those days. So it was quite expensive. On the end, I went, okay, he wants to, I'll give it to them. So I gave them two crowns. Then eventually asking me for two more. And then by that time, I started to think, oh, for Christ's sake, Almighty, do they have enough money to pay for those cognac now? I did not know who they were. Obviously, they did. And, uh, and he became to be a very regular, both of them, you know, especially me, for, especially for my martini. But that time, my bar was frequented by anyone you could imagine, Paul McCarthy, the Moody Blue, Bon Jovi's, the... Uh, 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 what do you call it? Oh, You know, so many that you can not Im imagine, you know. Santana. Pretty, that's, the that's the name I was looking for, Santana. Yeah. Quite an interesting, pretty eclectic, amazing life that you've had so far when you look at it now you've been in the game for you know 50 54 years and it's clear there's no time of you stopping anytime soon have you ever thought of what you do as work well i enjoy work i mean i can't i'm, mm. I'm really depressed at the moment because i am at home 
I think my wife never had me that much since, you know, she's she's always asking me, so when you go back to work, because it's a break for her, I'm always at home now, you know, we are on a lockdown and uh, we, we will come out of this lockdown uh, next week. So hopefully I can reopen up the bar uh, next week properly and come back and hosting everybody again. And what I miss the most is my team. My team is my family as well, you know. So, and it's nice, it's, uh, especially it's, uh, near Christmas. People need to, they want to celebrate, they want to feel special. And there is nothing more beautiful to go to a, a bar just for drink and feel special. I mean, mm. I'll tell you another story, you know, a few many years ago, well, a few years back, I had the, um, I had the Robert De Niro walk into my bar, and as as he walked in, I said, "Good evening, Mr. De Niro. Uh, welcome to welcome to to my bar." And he said, "Who is Salvatore?" And I said, "Well, I am Salvatore, Mr. De Niro." And he turned around and he said, "What makes you so special that all my friends talk about you?" I said, "Well, Mr. De Niro, do me a favor. Take your cup off, come in, and you will soon find out what." what my bar, what my home is all about. And it did, you know, and there is some, I always say I wrote many books. One book maybe I should write about is about my um, my biography, but then I can't do that because then I have to reveal too many yeah. story of too many people that, uh, that snitches get stitches, they, mate. they misbehave <laughs> themselves, you know, that uh, because that's what it's all about. You know, bar is an arm of sometimes you want to chill out and sometimes you don't want to behave in your best way. You know, you want to have a bit of fun and why not? You know, we need to know how to monitor. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a funky one because I'm sure that, I mean, there would be lessons from legends, which I'm sure you learned through liquor, right? There's something, there's something in there like around, you know, when you, when people see power from the outside, it feels that, there's a shell of them at work and them out of work, them, you know, with the chameleon on of what the public see versus who they actually potentially are in the private. There is definitely with most of the, the most famous people that I've met, it's very clear there's a disconnect between what is public and what is private. The sanctuary of your home, I don't feel should be ex exploited, obviously, for that, because I'm sure that you've seen more than enough of the private um, actual people <laughs> than what I've seen, what I've seen publicly. And I think, you know, as the saying goes, you know, snitches get well, stitches. So no. I, I don't think you, you want to go down that path, but it is pretty amazing. Cause I'm sure you would have had some wild times with some of the world's most iconic people, which would be well, extremely yeah, interesting. I mean, some <laughs> funny story as well. You know, for years I had the husband and wife, they used to come to my bar together. And then each one of them used to come with them with a loved one, you know, and every time I used to hope that they, they never used to come to the same day till one day it happened. The husband was, <laughs> the husband was with, uh, with his mistress and the wife started to come in with, with a boyfriend, you know. So uh, I had to think very quickly and very fast to make sure that a husband had an escape and not disclaim that the wife was coming with a boyfriend but actually was coming with a girlfriend. So I took him from the back, you know, the back entrance to, for him to run away. But he never knew that the wife, and neither the, the wife, uh, or the either of them, that they they both used to frequent my bar with their loved one. I mean, this is the kind it, of thing that uh, yeah. is a very. But again, you know, it, it makes it makes my job exciting, fun. You know, I mean. Uh, and one person maybe I could talk about is many, many years ago in the 80s, I used to serve one person who used to stay at the hotel and they used to come to my bar very regularly once you get to know me, uh, Maurizio Gucci. And uh, he used to come in the afternoon in my bar, uh, which was very quiet in the afternoon, and uh, spend time and talk to me about his life story. And he loved to do that. He, he really felt comfortable to tell me all the trouble he was going through, especially on those days, which was the Gucci fight between him and his cousin.
right, him and Paul. And the press was after me to find out what he was talking about. But how do I became to be very friendly with Maurizio was because one night he came with a couple friends and some beautiful girls uh, to have a drink in my bar. And obviously one of the girls attracted, you know, I was sort of got, got smart. It was, she was so beautiful that my mouth started to drop, drop down, you know. <laughs> I had my mouth open. So he came to me just laughing. He said, you like her? And I said, Mr. Gucci, eight. And he turned around and he said, what do you mean, eight? I said, Mr. Gucci, you asked me if I like her. Now I'd say, just like a good jury, I'd give her a vote, eight out of ten. And because I didn't say ten, every time he used to come with another beautiful woman, he used to ask me what number, well, you know, what vote would I give out of ten? And I never reached the ten because I knew the sooner he would, I would have reached the ten, he would have never brought me no other beautiful model, you know. So it's a it's a really fun story, you know. It's really lovely. It's a uh, funny you talk about the 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 secrecy of trust with what you know. I've got a, a very my family jeweler is called Brad the jeweler. Brad the jeweler is the thirty years. He's he's the guy. He's he's the go to. He's got the plugs for Pebble Beach golfing all sorts of stuff, and. Um, he recently, I was golfing with him. We're, we're out having a banter and he was talking about, um, you know, he's about to, he's about to leave. Um, and I was asking, so how do you navigate all of the dynamics? Because we know when I got my ring for wifey, he had to kind of keep some secrets because it's the family jeweler and then they'd be coming in and, you know, he had to sort of navigate. I was trying to get in this ring and he said, oh, the amount of, I know everyone's business with everything. And I was like, well, how does it work? He goes, well, the classic is, all the guys have their wives come in with them, right? And then he then has the has to come in and then pay, get all cash for the girlfriends and everything else because they don't want to run it through the books for the the wife's <laughs> the wife's cards. And then the girls come in; they've got these other sort of secret. There's all these little secret side hustles that both sides have. But he sits in the middle as almost like half counselor, half uh, jeweler, half half therapist, half secret stash of the vault of of but secrets I, I for many. So it's yeah. in the same. I think one thing you, you say, you know, what is about my job description, right? What it is, my job description is many things. I always mm. say a bartender is many things in many different ways. It is a doctor of work because you're there to fix all kind, almost all kind of illness. If you have a cold, I will have a cue to know how to fix your cold. If you have an hangover, I knew I must know how to fix your hangover. As long as, you know, if you have, a, you want to talk, I have a shoulder for you to talk to and to be trustful that whatever you say, it stays with me. It's a, and that's what I love about my job. You are hosting, you are a, an actor, an actor of work, you treat your bar as your stage. It's, a, you, you are an artist at work. You are an artist at work in many different ways because mm. um, just like a chef, you know, a chef is an artist at work. He will use his plate to create something wonderful. On top of that, I use a glassware. He will be a creator because he starts to create a different style of food, different style of flavors and aroma, give you a journey in your palate. And the same again, I'll do that with my drink. I'll make sure whatever I do with my team, it gives you an experience. That means whenever you taste our cocktails, it will be a sipping experience. It won't be something that you can go. It is something that the time you, you have the intensity of the aroma, the way it looks, and the tasting, the journey through the palate, from the beginning to the end, all right? And that lingeries. So the structure of the spirits, how important it is. And then the knowledge, the knowledge, you know, that we have. I mean, uh, please don't take anyone should think that a bartender is a simple uh, job. We are just as knowledgeable as the best sommelier in the world could be. Whenever you go into a bar, imagine all the spirits that there is behind that bar. Any of my bartenders before they work behind my bar, they must know everything about what makes a gin different from another. 
And think about how big the, the umbrella of gin is today. Vodka, rum, whiskey, you're a whiskey lover, right? So I need to understand what sort of palate you have. You know, do you want something pity, something earthy, something rich, um, you know, and delicate? Whatever it is, I need to know how to associate and I need to know the history of that spirit. Cognac, I'm an expert on cognac, but even by knowing so much about cognac, I'm still learning. You know, all these and about wine. So a lot of people must understand that bartender is not just somebody who makes a drink. It's somebody who has an incredible knowledge. It's somebody who has an art of, and a craft to know how to create an incredible drink for you to enjoy. And uh, also, you know, maybe to be able to immortalize yourself with a drink that a hundred years time mm. somebody can still talk about. So we have mm. so much that we love about our job, you know, and all these, we don't do it blind. We are not like a chef who locked himself behind the door and he can swear, he could be the Golden Ramsay, swear, screaming, he can uh, abuse people, he could do whatever he want because he does it behind the scene. The only thing you learn from him is his creation. We as a bartender, we are hosting. Whatever we do, we do it for one thing only, the love or make that experience special. Mm. It, yeah, the uh, not many, too many people would probably realize the the depth of history for for liquids. I keep going back to liquid history. It's it, it's <laughs> really interesting. I want to go back for a sec with um, you're on lockdown, you're stuck at home, and and wifey's probably getting sick of you wanting to kick your ass out. How has I remember I've had a, a bunch of friends that have worked in bars, and they've said it's very tough on relationships, family, all that sort of buzz. How how have you navigated balance between the life of a bar professionally and then also personally? Because it seems like it's tough enough for most people when they work the same nine to fives in the daytime. Yours is flipped the other way and you've done it for 50 years. So it's, it's probably a bit but different. How, how have you done that? For, I've been with my wife now for 46 years, I think. Uh, I met my wife, no. Uh, uh, I met my wife in 1976. And we are married now for 39 years. So next year is going to be our 40 years. And we've got three beautiful kids and three beautiful grandchildren. Um, it, is, it is true, you know, it, it is not easy, especially for young guys today. I think one thing what young guys today do, um, they have an incredible knowledge and they are an incredible artist at work, but they may not understand what the devil behind the behind them are. And that means it's the alcohol. If you provide alcohol, you have to respect alcohol. You need to know when to say stop to somebody and you need to monitor yourself. And above all, what I have done in all my life, I worked very, very hard whenever I worked. And I worked long, long hours. And the, uh, but one thing I do whenever I went home, I was at home. You know, my relationship with my wife was strong because I never neglect the fact that it's my day off leaving me alone. No, I have a duty. I have a duty of a husband. I have a duty of a partnership. And um, so I made sure that whenever I left home, I never took work at home and I never mm. took home at work. That's very, very, very important because the last thing I want to do, Robert, is for you to come to my bar and you tell me, listen, I had a, such a terrible day today. And for me to turn around and say, listen, mate, you think you had a terrible day? Let me tell you about terrible day. <laughs> you don't want to hear that. You know, you want me to make sure that I can listen. Even if for a few minutes, I can listen, right? And, uh, you know, it's uh, and sometimes, you know, you, you can take the trouble of other people, the experience of a lot of people. You know, you, I've been blessed that I met some of the most famous businessmen in the world. People like Jack Welch, uh, people like Maurizio Gucci, I was telling you about. I can make a list of a long of an arm of people that I met as business people. And many, many times, you know, you encounter that a businessman 
is the, one of the most successful businessmen. He cannot understand how come that he's done so well in his life, but he fell miserably in his family life mm. because everything is about him has been business. It's been one road, one direction, until they reach that direction, till they reach that final destination of being successful. After that, he looks around him and then he feels lonely and then he wants mm. to know why. But, you know, sometimes, you know, I see many of those guys, I see many of those people that they might be successful in their own right, but not necessarily successful as a human being. Mm. Yeah, full credit and kudos to you because you've you've clearly cracked something that a lot a lot of people don't. I was at um, a Singularity University last year, um, and there was the in the alumni room. I got to sneak my way in there. There was the head uh, professor from Harvard, and he'd actually just had a stroke the year before and was sort of on his comeback and had his wife in the room with him. And he was sort of you could tell his headspace had shifted with life with what he felt was important and the rest of it and he told the story he basically got up and he said you know um every you know 10 year five or 10 years we do have our reunion for harvard with all these professors and you know the smartest brains in the world and one of the things i've noticed over the last 40 years is and he was probably i think he was about six probably late i think he must have been almost 70 was he said every time we'd go back to the reunion it would be less and less partners and less and less partners every every so and then he got to a spot and him and his wife had been married for almost i think you know 40 40 years or or, or something and he said the the part that intrigues me he goes is how can we be the smartest brains in the entire planet but we can't even fix ourselves we can fix everyone else's problems we can't even be happy with ourselves we can do all the stuff for everyone else but we fight we win at all these things externally but then a bunch of them fail internally. And it's it's interesting that you say that about the business side because maybe, you know, the classic would be, you know, they work 80 hours a week. They, they are not present as a father or, or as, you know, for their kids or whatever it may be. And they wake up, they have all the money in the world. They look around and, you know, wifey's gone off with the poor boy. The kids hate them because he was never, never there for them. They got a million bucks in the bank, but they're lonely as shit, you know? And it's it's interesting that, well, it's great to hear the, the validation of, um, that still is the case, regardless where you go. That that success in one thing doesn't necessarily um, directly correlate to success sex with all, right? Well, I always say that if you decide to be a father, you should be a father. You know, you mm. take responsibility of what you what you choose to do. You know, and um, I'm lucky that I have an incredible partner, my wife, which is my friend, and she understands me. You know, she actually, you know. Uh, everything you know uh, that I do, I ask her help. I'm, a, I'm a, although I, I'm dyslexic. I'm my, my first son is the same, and my daughter the same. Um, so I have trouble to f uh, figure out technical thing. It's like now when I lost you, I go in the panic because I did not know how to come back to you. Right? She set me up with it. So therefore I called her and she comes and does that, you know. So there is a kind of a relationship, you know, that I, I always said that I make sure that my wife feels as much as a woman that she should feel. And uh, I will not ask her to do things that uh, it's my duty to do. And the same thing, she does the same for me. You know, she, she makes sure that, uh, um, you know, sometimes you need a bit of a luck in any relationship, but you need to work with that. You need mm. to work in any relationship because you can have somebody who loves you immensely, but that doesn't mean that you should uh, uh, misrespect that love, you know, and mm. be blessed, you know. I mean, I'll be honest with you, you know, it's like, a, uh, I mean, one of the reasons I, I love to go back to my bar is to sometime that I know that I can make the job, the day special for somebody. Uh, I have people come from around the world and, you know, now here tonight, you know, it's Thanksgiving in, in the USA. And I send a message to all my friends and all my friends, you know, respond to me to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's about not forget 
the others, you know, the people that they support you. And whenever, you know, I might not see somebody for the last 20 years, I still remember what he drinks. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's amazing. It's a really, it's a great, it's a great industry if you like, if you love to know how to do it. And it's mm. not just about the drink, but it's about the home, the hospitality essence. It's about what you do. What you do with your voice is to captivate the, the audience, for people to listen to you and for people to stay and carry on and listen to you, right? Mm. And sometimes it's not easy, not only because you have somebody over the other line to you that you interview, but it's also how you interact with the interview and what you do and what you put into the talk to make people mm. interested to listen to you. Mm. The the bit before about it's not just that one thing I'd written down before of this combination of um, precision times personality times the product is perfection. You know, cutting cutting slices of bread at, at eleven, so you learn perfection of it. You know, precision, and then when you got the banter for back and forth, people talking shit, you're like personality, and then you've got the craft and the art and the science of 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 that creative experience of, of the product. And then when you align, you know, the precision with the personality and the product, then you get that perfection. And that, that's that, you know, that pure escapism for something I for me for in my previous life as a professional snowboarder, I would have those moments too, where, you know, if it is, um, sun's out, bluebird, two foot of fresh powder, first tracks by yourself on the top, music in, looking down, and then the world stops. And then you have this moment and it's just pure bliss. And then you do your first turn. Like I had a vision that this, I was going to take a hell I was going to go heliboarding this one day and I had a, this brand new snowboard. And I was like, okay, my vision for it was the first turn that the snowboard ever does is going to be a huge powder shot. That That is a face shot that could be like the, the best. And then literally I did that thing, but there's these combos that you sort of, you package up for, you know, in snowboarder, you, you talk to any snowboarder that has one of those, those perfection, those moment days. Um, it's a combination of, you know, a bunch of different elements, but within yours, I, I just kind of read that down before I was thinking, yeah, precision and personality plus the product in terms of and product. Also perfection. What, what you should understand it is what the customer wants is what the customer should get. I always say it took God to create, uh, the perfect world. It took God six days to create the perfect world. It took me five to create a perfect martini. And the only simple reason is because I had a customer. His name was, uh, it was called Stanton Delaplane, who used to come to my bar and from the very first day he used to ask me, may I have a very dry but very cold dry martini? And I used to say, of course, Mr. Delaplane. So I used to make it very cold but to make it very cold, I used to make it quite wet. So I used to say, yes, it's dry enough. It's wet, it's cold enough, but it's not dry enough. So the second drink, I used to make it dry, but less cold. And he used to, every day, he used to tell me that he was happy, but not really happy enough. And, you know, if I would have been an arrogant bartender, I could have said easily to this guy, say, listen, if you don't like my martini, you know, please go. That is the door. Go and find somewhere else where they can make the martini better than I can. But for me, it was to fulfill the expectation of this person. So I mm. persevere. And then eventually I choose to put the, the gin in the freezer, two glasses in the freezer, the vermouth in the small dash bottle. And on the fifth day, when Mr. Delaplane came to my bar, I provide him a, a, the, what I call the direct martini, straight into the glass, frozen gin, dash of vermouth on top, twist of lemon. He had the first one, he did not complain. He had the second one and he took one sip, he walked away. I said, bloody hell, this guy every day told me, yes, it's dry enough, it's cold enough, but it's, it's not, you know, either one thing or the other. And now today he doesn't tell me anything, he just walks away. Few hours later, he comes back down. On those days, he brought me a fax because on those days it was not about emails or whatever you find. And he introduced himself who he was. His name was Stanton Delaplane, an iconic person who used to write 
for the San Francisco Chronicle, the New York Times, a Los Angeles Times, and there where he wrote, whenever you are in London, make sure you go to the Duke's Bar, where Salvatore will make you the best martini cocktail in the planet. And because of that, every time he used to come, he used to write about that. And then the reputation of the bar maker and myself making the funniest martini cocktail in the world. I start to have people like Sean Connery, Her Majesty, anyone that you could think to taste and experience is something that I used to make very, very incredible. Well, mm. you know, for the martini well, you... is incredible. So whenever you want to come at the Donovan Bar, my bar in London, I will make that for you. And this is what it is, is to yeah. fulfill the expectation of one person that puts you in the map around the world. Mm. I think I just added one more P to that combination. You brought up perseverance. Perseverance, yes. So you got, so the perfect combo, which I've learned from the maestro Salvatore, precision, personality, product, and perseverance is perfection. Uh, before we go, I want to talk to you about legacy. When I say the word legacy, you talk about liquid history. You are about a moment and the long string of things. What does the word legacy mean to you personally? Well, legacy is for me, it's, it's a big word, obviously, because it is someone who has reached and has created a legacy for either for himself or legacy uh, for the moment. You know, uh, for me, even when I made the world oldest cocktail and the most expensive cocktail in the world, uh, I call Salvatore Legacy because I immortalized myself with something that I really like to do, you know, make the world oldest cocktail, put 750 years of history in the glass that it will stay forever. But legacy is also, for me, is to able to create a voice for young bartenders around the world to say that this is not just a job, but it is an art. It is something that you could be proud of. It is something that I made and put on the planet that you could be a, an incredible creator. I mean, I created many different cocktails. One of the cocktails that people know me around the world is my breakfast martini, which I did with gin, you know, gin, orange juice, uh, gin, control, lemon juice and marmalade, orange marmalade, thanks to my wife, which uh, every day she used to say, why do you, don't you have a breakfast and sister instead to have a coffee? And every day I used to say, no, 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 leave me alone. Let me have my coffee. I'll be all right. One day I must have looked worse than worse because I had a much later night and she gave me this toast with marmalade on top and said, have it. She gave me a command. Now, if you're a very smart man, you understand when you should obey. And I did. Happy wife, happy life. Happy wife, happy and, life. There you go. And uh, so I used to bite in this toast with the marmalade on top of the marmalade, the bitter tangy flavor of the marmalade. It was playing with my taste, my taste buds. I didn't do no more. Kidnapped the marmalade. I took it to, to work in 1996. I created the most iconic, uh, one of the most, let's say, most modern cocktail that is known around the world, my breakfast martini. And uh, and uh, the day after I got even more in trouble with my wife because she was looking for the marmalade and it wasn't there, it was actually at work. So there is a kind of thing that you need the opportunity, the idea of creation. But before I leave you, I'm going to tell you a story, which I think it will be very special for me for what I do. Um, I have a good friend. I have a many friends. I've been meeting many iconic people around the world. I met people like Fidel Castro, Nelson Mandela, several presidents of the United States. As I said, lots of the royal family, including Princess Diana. You can name it. You, I met her. Who's who I met? And uh, But this person really comes to my mind is my friend Stevie Wonder, who used to come to my bar, and one night I created a cocktail for him. Uh, called Champagne Wonder. And as he was drinking this Champagne Wonder, he's a big guy. And uh, he, I had my pianist playing the piano, Brian playing the piano. And I noticed that Steve was rolling his head, listening to the music. 
So I went over to him. I said, Steve, would you like to play? And he turned around and said, Salvatore, I'd love to, right? Now imagine how magical it was for the people in my bar to listen to Stevie Wonder, not for one or two songs, but over half an hour, play in my bar, you know, losing himself to sing because he was happy, right? So that was an incredibly magical experience for everyone around the bar. But what was more magical for me that at the end of the evening, I, he stood up to leave and I went to say bye to him and he starts to applause. And I said, Steve, what's that for? And there he said, from one artist to another. And that's what we could be. If we mm. love what we do, it doesn't matter what we do. It is just doing a way that is an art format. That people mm. are happy. And that Steve, anywhere I go, he follows me. He comes and finds me. So, mm. and that's it's, it's a bit... Absolutely amazing. Uh, it's so it's so funny. It starts off with you know, you know, the 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 depths of relationships and human psychology and and um, and secret keeping and creativity and art and science. It's it really is a true magical plus wingman, obviously, on top of all that. Um, it's a pretty special existence, and I'm sure you know. You you fast forward a hundred years, and either of us will be here. You think about this interview so well you then wonder the the moments that you've created for others which have become relationships and experiences and unforgettable moments and all these different things that makes you feel good as well you know I, I think about these things called I call them breadcrumbs you know you create little breadcrumbs of positivity and inspiration or whatever it may be and then over time you don't know who what will what will drop where but it will just hit someone for one time and then they get those moments of either escapism or, or whatever it may be that adds a bit of positivity to their life which is pretty cool so um i really appreciate your time salvatore uh, after covid is finished when this is all said and done i will Please go. Fly, Please go. Yeah. <laughs> i will fly my ass to london i will walk in one day and i will say brian get off the piano my turn to shine i can't actually play the piano but no i will come in i will you have my word when i come to london again i will uh, come and see it. and i just I, I love the fact that you've been able to craft a home for others and in uh, new zealand culture within maoridom we have a thing called a marae which is like the community house that everything goes in in and out of and from uh, the way it feels like it's you know you've got a house with a few more alcoholic benefits um, <laughs> yeah, so but, I appreciate but, yeah, your time, Ray. As I said, you know, it's not just the alcohol aspect. Alcohol is important. But trust me. I mean, my bar, I have uh, an incredible collection of, uh, of uh, old spirits. Uh, you know, you, you will be gotsmacked to see, you know, the, my collection of spirits, of vintage spirits that I have. I create, we make, uh, uh, one thing I do, a very crazy, I recreate the classic with the original spirits of the town when the cocktail was created. Now I'm drinking Negroni. I make I made the world all this Negroni by using the, the original ingredient of the date when the the, 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 the Negroni was built in 1919. And the same again, I create world all this Martini by using gin from 1900, uh, you know, orange bitter from 1890, and the uh, Nolifrat Verma from 1890. The same again, I done the world all this old fashioned. I do this type of crazy thing that the people can talk about. So anytime you come to my bar, you can have the original Vespa made with uh, Kina Lille from 1949, when Ian Fleming put a pen on the, on the book to create the very first, uh, um, first um, Royal, you know, Casino Royale very, very first novel. And the same again, you know, with the gin from the 1950, vodka from 1950. And um, so, you know, you have this, uh, we, we do this crazy thing that uh, a lot of people around the world, they come and ask for it because we can do that. Eh? Because many, many, many years ago, I come out with this incredible concept and uh, I give the opportunity to people to taste something of the past. It's awesome. Not, 
thanks so much for your time, my friend. I really appreciate it. Best of luck for it all. And I'll uh, be hopefully seeing you soon when this is all done. Thanks for your time, brother. Love you all. God bless you all. Keep safe. Please keep safe. And let's hope that the sky starts to be very blue and with an incredible sunset or sunshine that will clear all this COVID away. You know, let's hope. Please, 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 God. We need to come back and embrace. I am Italian. And one thing I hate the most is to keep the distance. I, you know, I embrace everybody. I kiss everybody. I love to, to say welcome and bye-bye. And this COVID is killing what I love. Please. Mm. Be safe. Be good. Appreciate it, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Ciao. Thanks for talking. Bye-bye. What an absolute legend, ladies and gentlemen, Salvatore uh, Calabresi. This has been Rebet Live, Dash Radio, Dash Talk X. Enjoy the day. Be good. Be great. Adios.